fight the fight. Don't look back, so you will. You'll be alright. Don't be afraid, I got your back. Don't hold on so tight. Just let go, it's always new. If only I could allow my mind to rest in you. But there's too much sorrow in the way. This is Faye Simpson at the Lucid Body House podcast. And our episode today is Tending the Soil for Change. I'm very excited to have Elias Wygodny as my guest. Elias is an actor, sculptor, musician, and teacher. He has taught mindfulness and self-care techniques in schools nationally and internationally, and is now a certified lucid body instructor, mindful educator, yoga teacher, and energy healer. His band, The Heartstrings Project, recently signed their first label and is releasing their full debut album, Shadow People, on December 11th. That song snippet we just heard is called Sorrow and is on that album. He is also making an impact in children's arts and mindfulness education through his new 12-week online educational music series, Heartstring Kids. Elias, welcome. Thank you, Faye. It's good to be here. So before we get into the meat of the soil for change, let's just talk about why you chose that song today um, in sort of regarding your lucid body practice. Sure. So I chose to share sorrow today. Uh, first of all, that's my brother, Luke, mm. who was singing and... Um, He's one of the voices of my life, and he and I. So that's one reason I wanted to share it. I, I like to share that um, influence of mine, and um, but but also that the song's called "Sorrow," and it 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 takes place in a sorrowful state, and it. I wanted to just bring everyone into that place that is sometimes scary to go into, and I think that my brother did a really nice job with this song of sharing his sorrow. And so if other people feel theirs come up, they know they're not alone in it. And I think that there's a power in feeling with others. And so I, I just feel like lucid body practice has helped me feel my emotional states with other people, even if I'm not moving or, or acting, I'm feeling from the room. And that's a whole mm -hmm. part of the practice is is diving in, letting it out, and and experiencing it together. Yeah, so. the closer the closer to the bone, the more universal. Yeah, and I think certainly um, sorrow is one of the harder ones to to surrender to. And I always talk about surrendering into the body in order to access places that are most challenging because we 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 put a lot of um, we put a lot of protection and ego in, in the way, and sometimes for a good reason. Um, that's kind of going to bridge into the next topic, which is the neuro 
science of lucid body. Just to start, Eliza and I did a, a wonderful workshop this summer with Ananta and Tiago Felix, who's another lucid body teacher. And we the workshop is called Calm and Chaos. And we connected mindfulness with the lucid body process of transformation and the neuroscience of it. And Elias was the neuroscience teacher. He's he's quite brilliant and quite enthusiastic. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so just uh, continuing with that idea of how we protect our, our body from emotion um, and how neuroscience actually connects into the lucid body process. Yeah, so I love that you said the word protect and that it's not actually a bad thing. Our body and our brain is wired to protect us from experiencing too many emotions at once, uh, especially given the societies that we've grown up in. Specifically, I can talk about being in America. Growing up in America, a lot of students were taught in their school to think. And so we, I, when I was growing up, I learned how to think very clearly well, I don't know how clearly I learned how to think, but I learned how to learn <laughs> subjects and I learned how to be in school. And none of that was teaching me how to feel or emote or express myself in different ways, except for the casual art classes that didn't get as much attention or funding. And so growing up, I became curious about how the feeling process is so important. And, um, but I'll come on to that later. Going to we were taught to think clearly. And so when we're feeling immense emotions and we're flooded with sorrow, our brain will go, oh, that's not a safe place to go. So let's rewire, reroute, and go into thinking. Hold, so on, gonna... hold, that, hold right there. So that's not a safe place to go because we become vulnerable, right? Yes. Just on an animal level, we become vulnerable and we can't protect ourselves right? If that front body, what I call the yin body mm. is, is expressing and, and falling apart really. Right. We lose Absolutely. Our okay. We going. lose our strength just... and we've been taught. I love that. And, and we've been taught to not be vulnerable. I mean, now more and more people like Brene Brown are talking about vulnerability and, and many people, are, but it's a new skill that we're learning. Mm -hmm. And so we have to rewire our old circuitry, which was very, adaptive for us, keeping us safe, keeping us in our hardened shell so that we can survive tough nature. And so mm -hmm. when we're starting to feel emotional, what happens is our amygdala will go off, our, which is the alarm center in our brain. And it will tell us and it will send us into fight or flight. And we'll, because we perceive our emotions as a threat or becoming mm -hmm. vulnerable as a threat because we, as you said, we soften and then we are susceptible to danger. Mm -hmm. And so our brain does a wonderful thing. The amygdala goes off and we go, all right, I'm going to be in fight or flight. I'm going to be in my animal instincts right now and I'm going to survive. And so that's one route that the brain takes us. Another and just, one. Um, and just for, I know that's a sympathetic nervous system. And then all the blood goes to the limbs the lungs have extreme power. We're actually at our physical, physically the most powerful when we're in that state of alarm. Yes. So, and that's a powerful state to be in. And people love the chemical release that they right. get from that state. And it's very addictive. 
And so the body becomes addicted to this adrenaline, adrenaline, cortisol, cortisol. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and it feels so good. And so we love being there and that's great. I was, I spent probably (laughs) 15 years like that from about, from about 18 to to 30. Well, that was my whole childhood, which is why I got into trouble a lot because when I was a child, I would constantly not be allowed to express my emotions. And so what I would do is, I would enter into rage <laughs> instead of feeling sadness or, 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 or another type of emotion that was vulnerable that I wasn't allowed to feel, or I would then just turn it into anger. And so, gosh, I think the heart, the root, the first chakra and the heart are so connected. They just, every time mm. I'm directing or coaching people, it's like, where's the heart of the character? It's like where, because rage feels like, if, if, like you said, if you can't express your, your pain, it's going to come out some way. Yeah, absolutely. And when it drops into the root, then our only way is physical expression. Yeah. And um, like throwing something or smacking yeah. something. Or, and uh, so it needs to move. And so another way that the, the brain will help us survive is if we're starting to, if let's say the heart is imploding and I'm starting to feel this sorrow come on. I maybe it's from a really traumatic experience and I really don't want to go there. And I'm, I'm sitting in a room with people or family or whoever you're allowed to be surrounded by right now. And all of a sudden you're flooded with this emotion. Well, what your brain will do is it will start to have you disassociate with that emotional state. And so instead of feeling it, your brain triggers disassociation and you start to mind wander instead, or you start Gosh, to I see that in class all the time. <laughs> I always, and you're, you're just putting it very clearly now. Cause when, when a student's mind wanders, I say, always pay attention to when, because it could be that you are avoiding the very thing that needs attention. Exactly. And that's, and it's, and like I said, it is a really good thing that our mind wanders because often we don't need to go into that place, Mm. but, but coming back to lucid body, what lucid body provides is a safe space for our mind to not need to wander. Like it usually does on the subway or when we're sitting with our family, these are spaces that we don't need to just dump our emotions out because unfortunately people weren't taught how to handle that. (laughs) And so I don't blame people for not knowing how if someone just breaks open but in the lucid body space we're creating an atmosphere where people can break open slowly or dissolve or whichever way that they open up and everyone in the room is ready to handle it and feel it with them and not just Mm. deny it and that that allows the brain to go oh this is a safe place i'm going to stay in my emotional space i'm not going to disassociate i'm not going to enter fight or flight Mm. I'm just going to be where I am right now. And that has a profound effect. Yeah. I just have a quick, a quick story to tell. When I first came to New York, I, you know, I'd gone to school at Colorado and I'd gone, I'd spent some time in Norway and I was like really open, like a wide open and New York City wanted to be a modern dancer. And I, when I first came here, I could not believe how, uh, stone-faced everybody was and (laughs) shut off and I was like 
I will never become like that. <laughs> and then sure enough, three years later, I'm like stone faced on the sofa. <laughs> I just had to give that story because of course we can't, we, we, we are too vulnerable, especially on the New York streets to show emotion, but to give in a, a safe space, it's almost like we have to cue then the brain has to then learn when, how does the brain learn? Oh, this is a safe space. How does that happen? That's a great question. Well, first of all, it happens through eye contact. It happens through, so it happens through the embodiment of the teacher. I, I really do put a lot of importance on the embodiment of a teacher sharing the subject. If, and that's one of the reasons I was drawn to lucid body is because if I didn't embody the practice while I was teaching to get my certificate, I wouldn't have gotten my certificate. I wouldn't that's have been allowed sure. to move forward. <laughs> <laughs> and that drew me to it because it forced me to have to have at least a certain level of embodiment. And I'm always growing and learning. And um, you couldn't think your way out of it. You I couldn't, couldn't think. think my way out of it, which yeah. is what I learned growing up. And, um, and so, and not, and the reason I mentioned first the embodiment of the teacher is because there's a theory called polyvagal theory. I won't go deeply into it, but it, it dives into this concept that is now more of a fact that our nervous systems pick up on each other. So if I am all, completely incoherent and I, and I'm, and my mind is wandering and I'm having an emotional break open or break down, then everyone in the room is going to start feeling that yeah. unless they're ignoring me or they're walking away. And most likely that's because they felt it and they started disassociating because they didn't know how to handle it. Mm. And, hmm. and so that my job as the teacher is to create a coherent nervous system. And so if a student they won't necessarily know why they feel comfortable, but their body does because their body's picking up what I'm giving. They're off mirroring or... you. They're mirroring you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're yeah. How you, the energy that you, and I think that's true of parenting. I think that's true of anybody who is in charge of a group of people. The energy that they exude is what kind of sets the tone for the, for the room. Absolutely. And, and people say that emotions are contagious, and it's absolutely true. And it's, uh, there's a neuroscientific principle of mirror neurons that have been discovered. And mirror neurons are these neurons that they replicate in your brain what you're seeing outside of your body in somebody else. So if somebody's acting in a way that you recognize, your internal body will start to move in that same way. Huh? It's like if you walk into a room and someone's crying, and all of a sudden you feel like crying mm -hmm. that is your mirror nods activating and it's actually because your body starts to think that you're experiencing that and you know going a little deeper into lucid body another aspect i was drawn to is that what you know what you judge in others you judge in yourself because we're all reflecting one another it's this okay I'm, i didn't think i'd go very <laughs> In this direction real quick, but, but I will say. Yeah, just let me say, you, what you just talked about, of course, is the definition of theater. I mean, if we didn't have those mirror neurons yeah. and if we didn't have empathy and that second chakra, we wouldn't actually go to the theater in order to be affected by the emotional life of the people on stage or on the screen. And so in a way, I think that's, that's such a huge, important part of the health of 
of a community to Absolutely. reflect and see, allow someone else to feel feelings that I, I can't get to anymore. Yes. And, um, this is why it's good when we talk, Faye, because I start, my crown starts to explode and I get excited. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I was about to dive into the quantum field and that's a little bit far there away than where I wanted to go right now. Okay. <laughs> so thank you for grounding me. And, um, and so going back to why lucid body can be perceived as a safe space is right at the beginning, you know, the teachers embodied, the teachers coherent and we give a little bit of psychoeducation or psychological education on the process. We do speak very basically on how we have these many selves in one body and how some of these aspects of self are hidden. We talk about and, habits. We talk about habits. Yeah. yeah. And that's a psychoeducation, mm -hmm. which is actually a, a tool used in, in trauma therapies mm -hmm. to help their, not that, any of the students are like a patient and that's something I love about the space. It's not like a, it's, it's not that intense, but I do think that a therapeutic technique is a wonderful thing like yoga and like any type of practicing music or any art form. You know, what is therapeutic? It's like, I guess um, holistic maybe is a better word, but of course everything feels therapeutic. I mean, eating a meal is therapeutic, right? Because it's, it's making mm -hmm. my body feel good. I know I'm, I, I, we're always on the edge of therapy and, and theater, and I'm happy to be there. But sometimes when I, when I hear it, it's, it's therapeutic, I thought, well, what isn't therapeutic? I mean, in terms of making choices that are making us see ourselves. Isn't that what therapeutic means? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, it's funny that you're saying this, and I'm feeling you, and I'm, I actually resist that idea of it being therapeutic as well. Yeah. It's a because it also, it, it, yeah, it's just, but I, I and I, I mentioned therapeutic because unfortunately in our time, things need to be acknowledged as, as spaces for safety. Yeah. And um, yeah. so that's, I think what I mean, but yeah, therapeutic, I mean, yeah, it can be eating a meal is therapeutic uh, that you enjoy that, you know, you're nurturing your body. So absolutely. That's a good example. I, but sorry, I cut you off. Get back to what you were saying about um, the the psychophysical aspect of, you know, we have many parts of ourself. Um, and I think where I would like to start moving is to what happens when we actually do transform. We allow the emotions out, right? We are actually stepping away from habits, the habit of protecting and not revealing and, you know, all of those. What what is happening in the brain when we do allow for transformation? That's a good question. So I'm just going to go back briefly to get here mm -hmm. uh, to really emphasize this point of the psychoeducation at the beginning of this, mm -hmm. uh, the psychophysical education, and that will lead to this. Um, so I didn't mention when I was growing up, I, had troubles in schools. I had, I didn't have any regulation of my emotions and that wasn't, as I said, taught in school, how to regulate your emotions, let alone identify with them at all. And so I was expelled from school. I was at a Ooh. private school and uh, I was constantly throwing things or fighting with other kids, or I was very reactive. And, uh, and so I learned that expressing my emotions would not help me oh. in society. 
And so when I found Lucid Body many years later, uh, I it sitting in the class and hearing that intro talk of, look, we have many selves. Some of them are not, you know, I don't need to give the intro talk right now. But when I heard the intro talk, it, it explained to me or expressed to me that I am seen and that my experience is worth looking at in a way that I hadn't heard before. And all of a sudden I felt safe because I was seen. And then I was able to dip my toes in the water and see if it was all as it was, you know, imagined to be. And it was, and then I continued. And that first of all is transformative right there because the, my brain was able to focus out of myself enter into my prefrontal cortex, my awareness, and go, this is interesting to me. <laughs> I want to stay connected here, but mm -hmm. I'm still feeling my emotions. And the first link was made. I was feeling my emotions, but I was also in my prefrontal cortex. Ah, right. And right. so I could make... survival. Right. Exactly. So I was able to feel and be aware of my feeling at the same time, which is a circuit that was formed just on that first day. And when I, and then the practice continued of being aware of my emotions, but not falling into them and losing my awareness of myself. And so I can break that down when we're starting to transform in this lucid body process is I'll experience an emotion, but because I'm aware everyone's with me in the room, I can maintain awareness of myself because I am practicing acting. I have to be aware of myself and uh, not lose myself in a moment mm -hmm. and harm my scene partner or myself. That's not where we need to be as artists. We need to be aware of ourselves and as, of others with us and go to that edge. And so when I go to that edge and maintain my awareness, I'm doing a powerful co-creative process with my prefrontal cortex, my awareness and my limbic system and my emotional brain. And I'm creating this circuit, as I just mentioned before, and that circuit gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's from this law called Hebb's law in the neuroscientific community. Hebb's law is brain cells that wire together, fire together, wire together. Mm. I'll say it again. I got excited. So I fumbled the word, yeah. but it's brain cells that fire together, wire together. So, all of a sudden there's a circuit forming between my prefrontal cortex and my limbic system. And I'm learning that I can maintain my awareness while I'm having an emotional experience. And those brain cells that are firing are starting to wire. And just like a path that is formed in the sand, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and it becomes easier and easier and easier in my body. And that's because just one we example. Feel safe. That's fantastic. Cause we feel safe. Cause you, you've developed this, um, what I would say when, you know, when you realize as an adult that you, you take care of yourself. So your root is connected to your earth. You're providing your own food. You're providing your own safety and you're protecting your heart and emotions as well. No one else is. And so you can, you can, you, you have to allow the full gamut in your one body, as opposed to being just childlike and exposed or just the adult with no exposure, like the, the both are there. Mm -hmm. But now I'm going off on a tangent. Look, I, I wanted to bring something up because I think it's, it's uh, apropos of what you just said. 
there's a book called Living as a River. Mm. And it, it was written by Bodhipaksa, um, a Buddhist. And right, that, that name, Living as a River, is... I love it. Is, it's like I learned so much just by saying that. We always say that uh, our body is a river of memories. But he talks about change blindness. Mm. And change blindness is when we don't perceive change that happens right in front of us. And I don't know if you remember, maybe you're too young, but there was this, these experiments where these videos are going on and the video would say, um, count how many baskets are made you know, in this, in this game. And while you're counting the basketballs, a gorilla, a man in a gorilla suit <laughs> runs across the screen. And the, most people don't see the gorilla. Hmm. They are counting the baskets. Wow. And so, um, or there's another one where you go in, you get a packet of information for somebody, that person ducks down to get an envelope and they come back, it's a different person. People don't, they don't register. It's a different person. So you're right. So that idea of like not being able to perceive change in front of us. I mean, he talks about the average person can only keep about seven things in conscious awareness at all times. Um, so I just wanted to bring it, sort of throw it in your court because if we are, we are tending the soil for change, for personal change. And we have obviously our survival body in the way of that, our survival body, which we honor, but can get in the way. There's also the, the I guess, unmindfulness of having our brain firing on so many levels that we, we aren't centered enough to see what's right in front of us. Mm. right that there's a new thing now and there's if i walk in this lucid body house it's different today and instead of just walking in and knowing it's going to be exactly the same see i love that example of counting these basketballs and then a gorilla walks behind that yeah. <laughs> it just feels so connected to what's happening today in the sense of, well, first of all, our many of us are on our computers most of the day now. That's how we connect to other people. And that's about two feet in front of us, maybe. Some people are even closer. Yeah. And, um, and that is a short distance. And so what is taking place is we're gaining this ability to have a short distance vision. But a lot of people, and this is something, uh, one of my favorite teachers, his name is Andrew Byrne, and he started The Singing Athlete which is an approach to singing, but through a neuroscientific perspective. And he mentioned that go on walks and look far distances because our eyes are not doing that as often. And if we do that, it helps us come back into balance, but we don't think it. And all of a sudden we're getting really used to seeing short distances, but we're not seeing mm. the bigger picture because our brain is going to do what we're doing most of the time, which is, looking short distances. So the brain starts to adapt to that environment so that we can survive. The brain will keep us alive no matter what, no matter what the costs. Mm -hmm. So it, it's starting to wire this new ability, which is to see short distances. And so then you add in all the news that's coming across 
and then you add in all the stories that we're hearing from family members or friends or the random person who sends you an article about something you don't even know how they got your email or whoever and yeah. all of a it's sudden all right there it's yeah. all right there and it's all short distances yeah. and so we this a lot of this triggers a little bit of threat and just a little bit of threat or unknown can activate the amygdala that I mentioned earlier, that alarm system in our brain. And just a little bit of threat sends adrenaline into our body, cortisol into our body, and blood rushes to the extremities of our body and to our hind brain. And our ability to think clearly and look beyond shortens because we don't need to be looking beyond the short distance when we're in threat, when we're in survival. Mm. And so in this environment, when we're constantly counting the basketballs, we're missing mm -hmm. the gorilla. Mm -hmm. We're missing the gorilla because the brain so, is going to keep yeah. us alive. And so that is, that can be an issue. Yeah. So I guess, I guess, you know, that we need to, um, what would you suggest for our listeners in terms of, because change blindness, I, I was really struck by that. I love that. Because I thought, yeah. And I think it's like you said, it's even more now with everybody glued to their computer um, what can we do to help that, to allow for change, to not be, I mean, obviously I would suggest meditation. I'm always a big fan of reflection and meditation, but also, like you said, making sure the eyes have distance. Mm -hmm. Um, what, what other thing would you recommend in terms of a break from this mental chaos that can stimulate the amygdala? Yeah, that's a good and important question, I feel. Um, well, in terms of our self-care practice, it's how do we look at media? Um, when we are, this is an analogy I make a lot. When we are eating a meal in front of us, we finish our meal and maybe we'll get another plate and we'll have another plate and that'll be it. But when we're observing media or when we're on the phone, we're constantly getting calls. So we have one plate and then another plate comes in front of us. We didn't put it there, but someone else did. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. another plate comes in front of us mm -hmm. and all of a sudden all day long, or many hours of the day were consuming media or consuming the digital. And so what happens is our, our solar plexus not only absorbs food, as we know, but it absorbs information and it can become very inflamed. And all of a sudden we are exploding and we're like so confident, like I know what to do right now because I'm, I'm filled with information. The next moment we're we're not sure what to do or if we have the ability to do it and we implode and we, mm. and we, and so a lot of people I feel are facing this solar plexus, um, spastic solar plexus to the extreme because it's mm. just so filled with information that is in both empowering and also, uh, uh, empowering, in, empowering or in, yeah. What's the, word? it's yeah. empowering and, imploding and i mean it's so heavy it's just imploding it's it's uh it's like a, it's not just media i mean it's not, no, it's just, not media. just media it's like i mean i could get a call from a friend in italy and then i could 
be working on my report and then I'm really excited about a new project. I mean, multitasking yes. is something I am particularly good at. And I can see when it starts to, when one of the reasons I'm such a big meditator is because I have to calm down because multitasking with four things is different than when the eight thing starts and there's this circular form. Yes. So, I mean, that's my, I'm not a big um, news watcher, but, or media person or Facebook person, but I certainly get this multitasking going. So I think as we sort of draw a conclusion to our conversation, I think um, we should just keep talking about like how, I mean, we're not going to, I'm not going to stop multitasking and I'm sure you're not going to stop looking at the news and, you know, we're not going to stop, but that we could be aware of it. And then, um, well, I will say, you know, I want to, I want to say, Faye, I really want to be straightforward about this um, is I, I'm people have to stop, you know, it's not, stop what? they have to stop something. Stop we have to make sacrifices yeah. right now. You know, yeah. we have to, I, 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 I actually don't watch much news. I, I watch maybe 30 minutes every two weeks. Yeah. You know, I, um, we have to make these choices. We have to, um, that's why I mentioned yeah. it. Like, uh, it's consuming media is, we have to look at it like consuming food. We, it, I really, I, I believe that. And I, so I can't prescribe that, but I believe yeah. that. So, and that's per certainly your generation more than mine. Sure. You know, I believe that, that, you know, that <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, texting, you know, the whole relationship completely on text, you know, all that. <laughs> Um, it's a very different, uh, generation, but totally. I think, yeah, we're both what you're saying. And what I think I'm saying is that there has to be a time for reflection and there has to be a time to stop input. Yeah. Stop taking it in Yeah, and stop taking it in your eyes, stop taking it in your ears and, um, and reflect. And I want to, I, I was reading this same book, right? Living as a river. And he says, moment by moment, our perceptions, thoughts, moods, and emotions are changing, reconfiguring and creating a new self. Mm. Continue the process of change accompanied by change blindness for years or decades and we start to assume that there has, in fact, been no change or that the change has been purely superficial. Mm. And um, I love that idea that you've mentioned to me before that change is happening. Change is constantly happening, whether we recognize it or not, even if, if we don't get in a lucid body class and get to express our sorrow. That sorrow is still changing us. Yeah. Absolutely. It's just what I wish for everyone is for them to get to feel the change that's happening because it just brings another level of enjoyment to life. Um, but I ultimately do agree that it's all changing. It's all happening, but it's, do we want to be constantly counting the basketballs? Or do we want to laugh at the joy of the gorilla that's running behind? <laughs> and, but it's all going to be there regardless. So yeah. I, I do agree with that. And um, yeah. It's like awareness. It's awareness. Yeah, it's an it's awareness. It's awareness of change that is happening and uh, perception. Because it was one of those people that, that did not see the gorilla. So full 
(laughs) Full disclosure. And I've been so like aware that I need to be more perceptive. I believe it. I believe it. And, um, you know, lastly off of that is I'm sure you were not aware of the gorilla because you're, you've been, your body's really good at living and surviving. And when we're given tasks, we're taught to complete them, not look away from them, but to complete them. And sometimes we can complete tasks while being aware of the larger picture. And that's a new skill that I think that everyone, including myself, uh, can think about. (laughs) And it's like being in six, six, Six chakra being having that perception that the larger perception while you're doing smaller tasks. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, absolutely. Uh, one of my, you know, Tiago, I asked him a question before he left New York City. And it was it was a final dinner with him and a few lucid by teachers. <laughs> and we were saying bye to him. And I was like, how do I know that I should continue acting? And he said to me, just keep asking yourself why. And that really was a gentle reminder that I always have to connect to the larger picture and then I'll know where I'm going and why and, and how to continue. The answers just flow. If we remind ourselves to keep looking out and asking ourselves questions that, that help us do that. So, um, so that's a, an emotional way to look out as well. So that's a great, place to end before um i'm going to end this podcast with playing the rest of this beautiful song sorrow but uh elias can you tell our listeners where they could find it where that album is being sold yeah the album's coming out december 11th in full on spotify itunes anywhere that you can really find music you can find it it's called shadow people Elias, thank you for this. is a great talk as always. And um, I hope we talk again soon. And uh, for my listeners, we'll end today with the rest of Sorrow. Have a good week. Thank you. Growing pains to become a man. So I turn the pain. Wake up early and start again, but there's too much sorrow, too much sorrow, was born forgiven, all that comes my way. Just wasting my time.